right, if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to uh, Matthew chapter 25. Uh, last week we traveled through 51 verses, which is very uncommon for us. Uh, we will be biting a good portion for us today. Uh, well, hopefully we feel that we are filled up. So um, as, as you're turning there, though, let me kind of bring us up to speed on all that's been developing. We have, for that, we have to go back to 21, uh, chapter 21, where Jesus arrives uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, he will enter the temple. Uh, he will mark the beginning of his final week before he lays his life down uh, as the Lamb of God, as he sacrifices himself so that we can be made right. Um, with God, and, and it's interesting because you have people who are shouting His praise, and then you have people who are also at the same time conspiring uh, to end His life. And uh, this led us to chapter 22, where we hear Jesus bring some words of great warning, uh, really to us, but specifically to the leadership of the Jewish church about um, about their use of empty religion. Uh, he exposes these very false behaviors of the leadership and thereby exposes us because we get to say, okay, where, where are we complicit in the actions that they are putting into practice? Uh, and we take notice uh, not because uh, he's, in, he's enemies with the church leadership. Uh, we don't take notice because he thinks he's mad at them. Uh, we take notice because Jesus is fighting for us in these moments. Uh, this brings us to chapter 23 where... Our hypocrisy uh, is called out and what the hypocrisy looks like as it locks people out of the kingdom of heaven. And it took us into last week where we, we were tackled, uh, well, we attempted to tra- tackle uh, 51 verses of that chapter where Jesus speaks about two prophecies. As he says, okay, listen, here's some signs that the end is coming. Uh, and there's two in specific that we talk about. The first one is the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, which very literally happened around A.D. 70. Uh, and then the second prophecy is, um, is what happens when he returns and things that will happen to garner our attention toward his arrival. And, uh, and we said it'll be easy as we travel through those verses and really through uh, these next couple chapters uh, to get lost in trying to decode the Bible. Uh, and to say, oh, well, clearly that must be the fulfillment of this, and that must be the fulfillment of, of that. But, but what we run the risk of doing, if that's our attempt, is miss out on important truths that Jesus is, is very clearly speaking over us. Uh, he has a great desire uh, for, um, to cause us to be aware of these warnings so we know how to live uh, today. Uh, so we know how to, to live as we expect his incredible uh, return. And when again, when he rebukes and when he corrects uh, the Pharisees and the scribes uh, while others are listening, it, it's not in this attempt to defeat them. Uh, it's not in this attempt to debate them. Uh, rather, it's, it's to correct their hearts. Because he says, listen, there is a very real time when your life will end. Uh, and the condition of your heart will be paramount in that. How you relate to me will be of the utmost importance to that. And so we don't want you to be misled and we don't want you to deceive yourselves as you can very easily follow in the patterns and the waves of our own culture. And, and so what, what is hopefully coming into focus and what will continue in today uh, is that religion in and of itself will not get you a relationship with God. Uh, 
Religion in and of itself won't. Now, now religion can help you understand your great need for God, but in and of itself, if it's devoid of the heart of your heart's motives, if it's devoid of the love of God, uh, you can look very religious but live very dead. And so, uh, what, what we're going to be working through is when Jesus promises His return, asking, "How does this affect us today? How, how do we do that?" Because, because I. I mean, I know you've heard of people uh, in our time who have believed that the end of the world is coming on a certain day, uh, and you look and you kind of laugh from a distance, you know, and then you're secretly like, gosh, I hope they're not right, right? Um, but but so, so as we anticipate the arrival of Jesus, uh, how do we uh, live today in the light of, of His coming? And I think all throughout chapter 25, Jesus brings this urgency to us. And so uh, let's pray and then... And then we'll dive into 25. Father, we come to you. And uh, we are so very thankful that you pursue us. That you love us. That you care for us. In, in the most incredible of ways. In, in ways that even at the time we we don't acknowledge. And, and we don't fully comprehend. And, and I thank you for that. I thank you that you are a father who is much wiser than we are. Uh, I thank you that you are a father that is much capable than we are. And so, Father, we pray today as we lean into your Holy Spirit that he would speak to us in this parable, uh, that we would better understand what life with you looks like and how we can anticipate the incredible arrival of your Son. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone say, Amen. Amen. Very solemn. Kind of rumbled. Um, anyway, I don't have time for that. Okay? Uh, so here's here, one thing I, I should have mentioned last week that... Uh, I, I didn't, but uh, but the fact that we're having this conversation 2,000 years after Jesus gives it uh, really shouldn't give us pause for concern. Uh, I remember, uh, especially when I was in high school and, and early on in my college years, thinking, well, what if something went wrong in heaven? Uh, you know? Because uh, well, surely 2,000 years is a long enough time, right? Jesus should have already... Uh, returned and and I, I remember thinking through this like okay well why is he delayed so long and uh, then really just asking God hey um, I don't think you're doing this right uh, because I've read the Bible and I don't know if you know but Jesus said they're coming soon and uh, so so but 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 then my mind and my heart gets drawn to a, a verse out of Second Peter uh, where Peter is writing and he says okay I want you to understand the concept of time with God if you can. Okay? He says this. He says that, that a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And so, so any inclination we have of concern uh, that something has gone amiss, uh, that, that God has clearly not, is not following full on His promises, we, we can breathe easier as we talk about the return of Jesus, because even though it's been 2,000 years, that's, a, that's just a moment. That's just a moment to Him. Uh, and so, uh, not that I'm trying to explain um, time to you, uh, because very clearly I can't do that. I mean, it's just impossible. Uh, I can barely keep time. Uh, but, but instead, we, we need to understand that every day, every day that Christ delays His return, uh, should build in us this deeper and greater urgency to live out the gospel and to proclaim the gospel to people who are lost and far from God. Okay? That, that's all it does. That, that for the believer, every single day that Jesus gives us here should create more of an anticipation to proclaim His great name 
to everybody. Okay? That means on Monday. Uh, that means on Tuesday. That means each and, and every moment. And, 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 and so as we do that, we need to understand this, that what Jesus is bringing to our attention is that one day, on one day, our hearts will be exposed. He will come back, and He's very clear about judging. Um, and now, again, He judges as a perfect and a just and a holy God. Okay? So we have a hard time already getting our minds around that concept. But as He judges, He warns us that one day that's coming, and everything will be exposed. That, that the true nature of who we are before God will come to life, that, that nothing will be hidden. Everything is revealed. And if you're looking for a place, uh, you can go to Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 26. He kind of brings that to our attention. And, and all these things that we like and we presume to cover up will be made known. There, there will be things that in our pride we didn't even know uh, existed uh, in our hearts, but they will be Exposed and, and this penetrating truth leads to a very sober conclusion that that our sentence when Jesus returns may be surprising to some. He says that that some will come in and say, "Lord, Lord, Lord, we we did things in your name. We, uh, Lord, 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 we we went to the church services. We joined the small groups. We dealt with the brats in the nursery, not our nursery, other nurseries that you've been a part of. Um, we did those things." And then Jesus says, okay, but you don't know me. You know about me. You know some things uh, in the world. You've dressed like people who know me, but your heart is very far from me. And it's a very severe warning. Very severe warning in our lives. And so, so this situation, it represents this, this pandemic problem across contemporary Christianity. Cause, cause, and again, part of it is... is the church's leadership's fault uh, because we've sold a gospel that is too cheap and we've given it so easily because our desire is for you to be part of a club or, but really it shows the pridefulness of our own hearts where we want notches in our belts so that we can say look what God is doing and so we offer a very cheap gospel this is hey just, just come on in just come on in you can still live your life you know, but there's some things, some small things you need to adjust. But we don't really have to deal with sinfulness. We don't really have to talk about your pursuit of holiness. We don't have to talk about uh, the urgency of you helping those who are far from God find life in Christ. You can be very comfortable on this scheme. And then you can outsource all that stuff to other people as long as you give your time. You know, leave that to the professionals. I'm sorry, that's a soapbox moment. I wasn't expecting that. And there's really only one way we, we respond to these truths that Jesus is speaking of, and it's that we must be prepared. That's, that's the point of Matthew 24. That's the point of Matthew 25, that, that we must be prepared since our lives and our eternities are at stake. And as strange as it may sound, this, this text prepares you for your life 10 billion years from now. Which, which right now seems like it's a pretty important day. You know, but 10 billion years from now, that's going to be of utmost importance. I'm telling you. Where you are after Jesus comes back is the most important thing you will ever have to deal with in your life. And, and so as we travel these next few weeks, we're going to end up asking a couple of questions. Uh, I think five or six or 15, who knows. Uh, that can serve us as we explore our hearts. 
uh, as we ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal or expose whether we are living as, as truly the Lord's or, or are we just looking like those who have trusted uh, their past, their present, and their future in the gospel. And, and so, so let's go. He's, we're going to talk about two parables, one today, uh, one next week. Uh, chapter, verse 1 in chapter 25 says this, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Okay? Uh, I'm going to interchange some words today, uh, not because I'm afraid of using the word virgin in church, because it's in the Bible, uh, but but the the other translation that I believe helps our word picture is bridesmaids. Uh, Other translations will use that word, uh, that we have have bridesmaids. So he says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Okay, so, so this is the context for the parable. Jesus is trying to help us understand what the kingdom of heaven will be like. So he says it, it's kind of like this situation. And, and what's going to happen is that, uh, he says, this is what's going to happen when those trumpets are blaring uh, and how we should respond uh, in that. And we need to be careful, though, because we can mix some word pictures here. Uh, because a little bit later in the New Testament, we'll find uh, Paul in particular give us a, an incredible picture of what our union with Christ looks like. Uh, especially our union as the church with Christ. And so he will say that we are the bride of Christ as believers and that he is the groom. Okay, So it's really easy to get mixed up in these word pictures. But today, we're not even addressing the bride. Okay, So everything that we're responding to is from the perspective of the bridesmaid. Okay, and so, so I, we'll make sure that's clear, because uh, I don't want us thinking that bridesmaids are anything different in this parable other than us, uh, and so, uh, and so we need to be careful about that. But, but he says this: uh, the, the focus of it is the preparation of the bridesmaids. Verse two says five of them were foolish. Okay, so we have ten bridesmaids. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. Uh, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, and all of you are like. What are they thinking? Um, but the wise, the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. And this might be the only time ever a flask at a wedding is a good idea. Okay? Uh, I'm, I'm just letting you know. Let, let's, let's talk culture, though. Okay? If you've been to a couple of those weddings, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and so let, let's talk about culture and, and why the bridesmaids are in one location and, and why they're not and why they need lamps. Right? Uh, okay, it was custom... Uh, the ceremony would happen at the groom's house. Uh, but while the groom is preparing things, the brides and the bridesmaids would be at uh, her parents' house or her former house, and they would just rest. Okay? I find that this is probably, as a pastor of, who have, has officiated weddings, uh, it's usually a good idea if you give the groom something to do other than put on pants and run um, a comb through your hair. Uh, because uh, what typically happens in their idleness and boredom, they decide alcohol is a good idea. Uh, and so the amount of tipsy grooms uh, that I've officiated weddings for would just it, it boggle your mind. Um, none of our people. They're all good. Uh, but, but, but the brides and the bridesmaids, they would go home, they would rest, and the bride's family in the, in the house and the groom would come get them. Now, um, it was not uncommon... Uh, because the groom was responsible for the preparations for it to take longer than expected. Uh, and so there, it was not uncommon for it, all of this to happen at night when the groom comes to get the bride. And so it was the responsibility of the bridesmaids 
uh, to honor the groom and the bride by having light uh, for them to make the walk back to the groom's house. And now their wedding feast, it wasn't like ours, okay? It wasn't like a reception that you say, okay, hey, listen, 20 minutes tops, we're out of here. Uh, and if you really liked them, you're like, eh, let's see what kind of cake they got, right? Uh, but for, for, for their culture, uh, the wedding feast uh, and the celebration could last a matter of days. Uh, and so you're like, hey, if somebody can afford that, I want to be friends with those kind of people, right? Um, not me. That's too much work. Uh, so, so, so it wasn't uncommon um, for, for this to take a, a, a significant amount of time. And so the tradition, again, was the responsibility of the bridesmaids to provide the light for the bride and the groom to make them known to people around uh, that, hey, this is a significant moment of celebration that we are we have been invited into. We're going to make much of them in this moment. So, so here we go. Verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Okay, midnight. Just to let you know. If you've invited me to a wedding and we're starting at midnight, I don't think I'm showing up. All right? Just letting you know. Um, but at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, okay, there's a problem that's arising. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Go to Walmart uh, and get some oil. That's basically what we said. Uh, and... And this is going to be the issue that Jesus is revealing in the parable, that the foolish bridesmaids are not prepared for the arrival of the groom, and they even want to borrow on the preparation of the wise in order to join in. They say, hey, you, you clearly have thought this out, and you are prepared. Please let me borrow on your preparation. And, but, it, but this isn't possible because... If that were the case, neither would be ready to give the groom and the bride the attention they deserve. So verse 10. And while they were going to, to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready, okay? You can underline those words if you want. Uh, those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. Okay? The feast. And the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Then he, Jesus, to kind of bring this parable to a close, he says, Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. You should, you should always be prepared. And this is, this is the reveal and the warning that the groom appears... Uh, and he leads the prepared bridesmaids to the wedding, to the marriage feast. And now remember, ten were invited before five were prepared. And so the door is shut so the celebration can begin. That's what he has said all along. He says, I'm bringing my kingdom. And afterwards, the celebration begins. And there's some incredible things that are, that are said about our, our experience in heaven. And I believe any attempt that we have to fully kind of wrap our mind around it will do us a disservice. 
but but he says says there will be a time that that judgment is over and celebration begins. And our celebration is simply this: that we get to see Him, that we get to live in the glory of God and behold all of His splendor. Okay, so so Jesus brings us into this awareness, and and it might be shocking again. For us to hear Jesus speak about a day when the door will shut and people will be left out, but it's nonetheless true. No matter how much that might rub us the wrong way or we in our culture want to soften some of those edges, it, they can't be. Jesus very clearly says these things in His Word. So either His Word is wrong or we are. And so, so He's going to return. He's going to reign as a just and a holy and he brings us into this awareness of his return and simply tells us to be prepared at any moment. So you always have oil. Now this isn't permission for you to carry around a flask all the time, uh, but he says, he says, always be prepared. Do, do we have oil, or are we hoping in that day to be, borrow, uh, to be borrowing someone else's? And, and the truth of this parable causes us to ask, whether or not our faith is personal or are we just trying to look like we have the faith of the person who's trying to get into the wedding party. And, and now, let me, let me preface this, or insert this, not really preface it, that, that the intention in these verses isn't that we would scare believers to doubt their salvation. That, that's, that's not the intention. Uh, that, that we don't want you um, to doubt your salvation, but we do want you to explore the motivations of your heart. We want you to root out sinfulness. We want you to see where pride uh, is resting. We, we aren't in this passage to trick not yet believers to come forward today so that they can say a prayer, but, uh, but, but we do want you to know that the gospel of Jesus is the only way to have a restored relationship with God. And he's very clear about that. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We can just keep saying that over and over and over again. Uh, this is, that's the, the line that Jesus draws in the sand. That no one comes to the Father except through me. So we don't want to sell you a cheap gospel because it costs you everything. Access is free, but it costs you everything the rest of the life. And so what we want to do in this passage is ask ourselves some questions about the sincerity of our lives when it comes to relation to Jesus. Uh, and, and so we're going we're to take on three today. Uh, and Ryan, you got ready to put a first one. Uh, here's some penetrating questions that, that we must ask. Uh, number one in your talk notes, am I keeping watch for Christ? Am I keeping watch for Christ? Because Christ's second coming should be on our minds and our hearts, but, but, but not in such a way that you stop everything. Okay? Uh, because this is this is the idea. Was it a couple of years ago? There was a group around here um, that really believed the end of the world was coming on a certain date. Uh, and I think it might have been the 20... It doesn't matter. Um, what? You know, I don't even know what you're talking about, sir. That doesn't make sense. Um, but, but I remember hearing these reports about people in our area uh, who believed the end of the world was coming. And, and what they did that day was shut themselves up in their houses. Uh, and so, so as we talk about the second coming of Jesus, we're, we're not talking about you stopping everything uh, that you do in your life because we find out that each and every day we have important things to do 
in light of the gospel. Uh, but, but we should keep it on our mind in such a way that it affects everything we do. Our, our thinking about him uh, is not forced in this sense of fear and dread that he's coming back. Um, but rather, uh, our thinking about him is a result of, of love in anticipation of, of a greater union. In fact, let's put it this way. Have you ever been away from your spouse for a couple of days and, and you start to really enjoy, you like, not enjoy being gone, but you enjoy the fact that that time of being away is coming to an end? And you say, I can't wait to see you. Now, some of you are like, gosh, I would just, just five hours apart for myself would be great today. Maybe I can just send them to Home Depot. Um, I always imagine these moments, it's misty from Missy's perspective. Not, not from me, because I'm like, I just want to smell your hair all day. Um, but that, that's just me. But but let's say you, you have this season where maybe maybe you're on a trip um, and you start to call them and, and say, I can't, I can't wait to see you. And then all of a sudden that anticipation builds and it gets more joyful and you get more excited to see them. And then and finally you get to see them after they've been gone for a long time and and it's this moment of just joyful love. You know, it's, it's the warmest hug you've had in the longest time. Uh, and, and, and this is the picture. As we await for the arrival of Christ, we, we anticipate with joy a union that we've never fully experienced. That though it is incredible today, like just these, these moments of getting to walk with God, just these moments to get to respond to Jesus, as incredible as they are today, one day they will be, it's, it's, it's indescribable. It's, it's unattainable for what we can understand about what, what that relationship will look like on the other side of eternity. And so we wait and we watch for Christ as anticipation, as if we were waiting. And this is, it's a poor, it's a poor analogy, because anytime we want to compare spouses with Jesus, uh, but, but it's the same idea, that you wait and you watch and that anticipation builds each and every day because He has told us He's coming back. And we wait and we watch because we know when He arrives, there will be joy and peace unimaginable to us. And so, so when Christ is on your mind, you can't wait to see Him. And if you are filled with dread about the day of His return, you need to consider what this might say about your heart. And what this might mean about your priorities and where your passions are. Number two. The question is this. Am I faithfully following Christ? Uh, and this is a staggering thought. If, if, if you knew Jesus was coming back tonight, right, would you live any differently? Now, granted, he's coming back after uh, the game uh, Sunday Night Football ends. I mean, he's not unrealistic. Right? He'll give you that time. He'll let you listen to Collinsworth one last time so you can say, God, I hate that guy. Right? That's just my, I, don't, I don't hate him. I just hate the way he does his job. Um, I don't know enough to hate him. Right? But if he came back tonight, right? Would you be living any differently? And the easiest thing to do to that question is like, oh, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. And then you have to say, Really? Really? Jesus came back tonight. This is this is the offering of your life you're giving to Him, right? And we smile because, like, oh, that's an uncomfortable thought. 
Will your footsteps be found walking in obedience to Him when He returns? Or will you be found wandering in disobedience? Will you be loving your neighbor or ignoring them? Will you be found passionately devoted to your spouse or be found neglecting them? Will you be found hating sin or clinging to it? Are you involved in action, thoughts, and attitudes that would not make sense if this was the last hour of your life? And I'll just leave those for you for a little bit. You can borrow them. Number three, am I trusting Christ? Am I trusting Christ? The parable speaks poignantly about uh, to people who are not prepared to preserve, persevere until Jesus comes back. Uh, they, they don't have enough oil uh, to burn lights. They have enough oil to burn it for just a little bit, but not enough to preserve them through the night uh, until the coming of the groom. And, and so and, and we can't help but think, as we've traveled through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, way back in chapter 13, which I'm sure you've all memorized at this point, uh, where Jesus has given us the parable of the sower. And he says the sower sows seeds and they fall on different grounds. And one of the grounds that it falls on is a, is a rocky ground. Uh, and it, it, the seed falls, but there's no good ground underneath it. So it springs up. And when the sun comes and the heat comes, it scorches it uh, because it has no foundation. Uh, and so, and I think this is a very similar parable that the bridesmaids weren't prepared to persevere until the groom actually came back. Came back. So we, we could start wrapping uh, these up. And I know I have like four things for you to fill in last. You're like, oh my gosh, he hasn't filled all the blanks in yet. We'll get to it, Hanson. Calm down. Um, so so there, there are a couple things uh, that become very clear to us uh, regarding these verses. And they're, they're common misunderstandings about the gospel. Okay? Uh, very common misunderstandings about the gospel. And I think I think I have been guilty in my past of, of believing some of these things. Uh, that the kingdom of heaven, okay? Uh, so the question is, who is the kingdom of heaven for? The kingdom of heaven is not for those who simply respond to an invitation. Okay? If you just simply respond to an invitation, this is... I don't know this about the sincerity of your heart. All of these bridesmaids have done that. They received an invitation to be part of the bridal party, but yet they weren't prepared in their hearts to really understand what was at stake. And they've been invited to part of something special, and they even said yes to the privilege of being involved, but they failed in understanding the full extent of their role in this story. That, that number two, the kingdom of heaven is not for those who simply make a confession. That, that each of these bridesmaids would have said uh, they were part of the bridal party. Their cry in verse 11 is, is, Lord, Lord, let us in. Let us in. We're part. We're part of this team. And the groom says, no, I don't, I don't know you. Because the people that I know would have understood the gravity of this situation. And, and I think this is a real danger anytime the gospel is sold too cheaply so that we can, again, celebrate notches in our spiritual belts. So that we can chase other churches and say, oh, well, we had so many people. You know, last week, Cameron, Cameron gave his life to Jesus last week. And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. You can do that. Just you. No, nobody else. Just you. I'm joking. <laughs> But, but, but that right there, one is, says the angels of heaven rejoice when one sinner turns and repents 
And so we celebrate them all because there's nothing really more important that the church gets to do than that. That, that. And, but when we sell it too cheaply, we say things like, like if you'll just confess that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, um, even though that's absolutely true, it also ignores this radically different way of living that we are called to live in in the light of the gospel. I remember I had a pastor one time when I was a teen. Um, he told a kid, we, we were doing like a, a fifth quarter uh, after a football game, and there was this altar call, and, and this kid comes down, and our pastor was talking to this uh, this kid, and and he ends up telling him, the, the kid comes back, and he goes, I was like, hey man, did you pray for Jesus in your heart? And he's like, uh, the pastor wouldn't let me. He said I wasn't ready. And I remember being so ticked off. of it. Some of you are like, what? And, and here's what happened in the course of the conversation. The pastor realized he was only coming down to say a confession because he thought that's what he was supposed to be doing that day. That his heart wasn't in tune with his desperate need for Christ. And so he didn't tell him, hey, uh, you can't do this. He's just saying, you're not ready for this. Let us pray that God would reveal more and more and more of your need for Christ. And, and in our desire to create converts, we sell a gospel that is much too easy. Because we sell a gospel that says, well, as long as you've accepted Jesus, then everything in your life will be great from now on. And we ignore places in the Bible about suffering. We ignore these moments when Jesus said last week, they're coming to kill you for my name's sake. We ignore places when it says it's going to be difficult because an unbelieving world is hostile toward the things of God. So it's not for that simple confession, even though for true believers, that's the beginning, right? That simple confession of I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That is the way. But if that's the only place that it takes you, you know, I think you'll be standing on the outside of a celebration saying, let me in. Number three, the kingdom of heaven is not for those who merely express some affection. Okay? Being a fan of Jesus is not the same as loving Him. You with? Being a fan of Jesus is not the same as loving Him. Seeing Him as an important figure in your life is not the same as cherishing Him as your Lord and your Savior. I have a lot of people I look up to in this world. I have a lot of people I have affection for in this world, but it's not the same if I think of them in the same way that I think of Jesus. That He is completely and utterly set apart. And this is why He spends considerable time talking about how He is our connection to the Father and the demands for us to give our lives for the glory of His name. Now, he's not interested in half-hearted words of praise because he doesn't need them. He is very secure in his own ability to be Savior of the world. So he doesn't need half-hearted words of praise because he knows how empty and fleeting those emotions can be. And so, so at this point, you may be left wondering, then, then who, right? Who is fit? for the kingdom of heaven. And this is what these chapters have been speaking about, that the kingdom of heaven is for those who endure in salvation. 
that they are constantly being sanctified. They are constantly growing up in Christ. They are consistently putting sin to death. And they are pursuing holiness. And not holiness so that they can be holier than thou, but holiness so that they can help people who are far from God find life in Christ. That, that is the intention. Earlier in Matthew 24, Jesus warned His disciples about the danger of falling away. He says, Some will not be able to persevere for the tribulation. They will, they will run. They will flee. There's this moment in, a, in a, one of the letters that Paul writes. He says, Hey, he goes, Come quickly because Demas, uh, because he loved this world, has abandoned me. And we're left wondering, Okay, where do we fall in that? situation where do we fall in that equation that that some of us will look like followers of Jesus I'm sorry some people will look like followers of Jesus they they may have responded to an invitation they may have gone to a fifth quarter Uh, they may have gone to a camp Uh, they may have been just desperately tired and really emotional on the last night and they came down to an altar and they prayed a prayer, and their life looks nothing different than it did before. And we deceive ourselves, right? Because we think, oh, oh, I said, I did the form, right? I filled out the card, I have the baptism shirt, but my life looks nothing different than it did before. This is, this is what I know about my life. I know this about my life. I was always a good kid out of fear of being in trouble. Like, from the outside, I, I, it was surprising to my youth minister to find out that I got saved. He's like, I thought you already were. It's because I looked the part. Unlike, you okay? That wasn't a joke, Kelly. I wasn't... I didn't even know you were there. But I looked the part. And tragically, that's the scene for a lot of us. And it's not for me to judge your salvation, because I can't. You can't judge my salvation any much more than I can judge yours. But Jesus does help us understand that there are fruits that come out of our lives as we walk in the gospel. There are things that become more evident and more clear to the rest of the world as we explore our hearts. And he says, when we find something that isn't of him in there, you put it to death. You root it out. You get rid of it. You don't, you don't live defeated because it's still there. You don't live defeated because you're still messing with it. You put it to death because the difference that Jesus is making in your life. That's how we endure in our salvation. That's how we step each and every day in this anticipation for Christ to return. And so the question is this, are you trusting Christ today? I get you might have said, hey, when I was seven I went up, I was at a VBS, there was a clown, I had a sock full of change, and I went up and I prayed a prayer with brother so-and-so or deacon so-and-so. Are you trusting Christ today? Not that have you responded to an invitation or expressed some affection toward Him in the past, but but whether are you trusting in Christ at this moment for your salvation? 
And this is how we prepare. You say, well, how do I prepare for the arrival of Jesus when it comes at any time? Today, tomorrow, right now? No, okay. Later? How do I prepare for that? Am I trusting in Jesus as my Savior right now? Right now. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. we wrap up, we do want to make a couple things available to you. Keith and Kim and Heather and Jessica, they were up here. We'd love to pray with you. We would love to pray with you. If you need prayer, maybe you are dealing with some challenges right now. We want to be a community of support around you. Maybe you maybe you answered that question and you say, I'm not trusting in Christ as my Savior. We believe nothing is more important and nothing is more celebrated than that decision. Of you understanding your desperate need for Jesus, that He is our great restorer, that He comes as both Savior and Lord. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, come to you, and we are very thankful today that you've given us your word. And I thank you that you give us uh, an indication of some sense of urgency, that you let us know what will eventually happen. And I pray that our hearts would be prepared for, for that incredible moment. Father, I pray that none of us would fall away. But I pray that here at Merge that we would understand just how incredibly important it is to walk in the light of your gospel. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.